How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jack. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow <laughs> Podcast, episode 71. Oh, man. Oh, man, indeed, Jake. We are getting old. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you... I mean, we are pretty senile at this point. Um, it's not the isolation. <laughs> it's just how long we've done this podcast. You know, I didn't realize we started this podcast... January 2019. Which is kind of crazy to think about. How many weeks 71 weeks is... You know, like when you really think about it, mm. it's, inc- it's crazy. That's it, a lot of weeks. It's sort of simultaneously very short and a very long time. You know yes. what I mean? Like it feels like, wow, we've already hit 71, but it's like, wow, we've done 71. That's yeah, I, I mean, it, I think it's because not many podcasts get past what, 20, 30 episodes. Right. So, yeah, yeah we're pretty we're pretty chuffed with ourselves. You know, it, the fact that it's harder than that it looks. to say getting to 100, it doesn't feel that far away now. So you know that's that's a that's a that's a bonus. Here we go. I know I know episode one hundred will be December. I know that. That's very exciting. So that's coming up. It's going to sneak yeah. up on us. Maybe a Christmas episode potentially. Who knows? Die hard. We'll find out. <laughs> but uh, how are you, Jake? I'm all right. I think uh, we're both back to work, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Not mm-hmm. like in a, a worn out sense. More just in a. It's, a, it's nice to have stuff to do. It's nice to have money to have in the pocket. Absolutely, <laughs> that's that a that's a that's a big part of it. Because yeah. uh, you know, and it's nice being productive. Obviously, everything's getting progressively better mm. in Australia as a whole, and particularly where we're from, it's getting really better. Um, and yeah, no, it's it's starting to you know it's feeling we're getting slowly back to normal. Yeah, well, I'm not I've, sure how many I've... more weeks we can do good and bad social distancing because you know that's a good point. Yeah, like even even this film of the week. It was like, ah, oh, this was a little, not trickier, but it, I think it's losing its novelty, and it's because we don't have to social distance so much anymore. Well, that's okay. Maybe we'll go until the end of the, the retrospective, and then maybe we will That's not a bad idea, actually. I like that. Yeah, and then just uh, silently phase it out, <laughs> <laughs> even though we're announcing it right now. <laughs> Are we halfway through the decades now? 80s. Yeah. No, I don't think yet. 20, 10, 90, 80. Next week. 20s, yeah. Next week will be the The halfway halfway point. Which is good because it's the 70s, one of the golden ages. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, very much something to look forward to. Well, Zeke, what have you been watching in the last Uh, week? I've had a really light week compared to, I think it was last week, 13. Jesus Christ. So, the week week, last (laughs) week was 13. This week was thankfully... Uh, four not including the film of the week. Right, yeah. So five including the film of the week. Um, I did get halfway through one, but I couldn't get it done today before the show. Because uh, it sucked? Um, no, just didn't have time. <laughs> but, uh, Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, I probably could have. Yeah, uh, I wasn't like super into it. Right, um, okay. We'll, the, we'll find out next week, I suppose. Uh, three films and one doco. So gotcha. I'll start with the doco, throw it back to you, and then go from there. Well, I'm curious about this doco because I, I know what it is. I've looked at your letterbox, and I'm, I'm curious about the score you gave and why you fought the way you did. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's the Being Elmo documentary, which Elmo. is about um, behind the puppeteer, hmm. uh, who was the puppeteer for Elmo, and um, just sort of how he came to be in his position, how he got to working on, on the, the sets of the Muppets and... Yeah. And various Jim Henson projects, and sort of 
how people like Jim Henson, who is the creator of the Muppets or one of the creators behind the Muppets, how his sort of life was shaped around that sort of whole industry. And it obviously offers that insight insight into something that we don't fully, uh, you know, get to know about because obviously we all grew up with things like Sesame Street and the Muppets and uh, more so Sesame Street than the Muppets, but... Um, you know, there has been a couple of Muppets films yeah. uh, scattered over that time. Is, is that an Australian thing that we're just more familiar with Sesame Street or? No, no, because the Muppets were bigger in the 80s and of course we right, grew up okay. in the 2000s. I see. The aughties, the aughts. Oh, um, <laughs> and of course, uh, by that point, most of the Muppets had all but disappeared and they made a comeback movie in 2008. Ten or something like that. The Muppets. I saw. Movie. I saw that one with Amy Adams in it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's a real, and um, Jason Segel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw that in a theater. It, it got a lot of positive reviews at the time, and then their sequel came out, which was less popular, but still funny. Um, but yeah, predominantly we grew up with Sesame Street and Elmo. Uh, I don't remember a time in Sesame Street where Elmo didn't exist, so it was enough. Would Elmo be from the very get go or? Okay. No, no. Sesame Street. I guess you would running. know from the documentary. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I wasn't keen on it because, frankly, I felt like half the documentary felt like it was recorded at a different time, hmm. maybe as a part of another documentary that never got made. Because there was definitely a quality distortion in terms of interviews, which, if it was archival, then it's fine. But the way they present it makes it feel like all the 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 interviews were constructed in one sitting. I think okay. and it just looked a little odd. Um, it well, they're trying any... to like replicate the uh, an effect or the location. No, no, it was very much just like some of the some of the felt like it was shot in the early two thousands, and some of it felt like it was shot when the the documentary came out around twenty eleven. So it was a bit okay. weird that they were sort of copy almost like they got them from different documentaries or whatever or maybe a documentary that was never made or something um and honestly um it's kind of a funny thing because if you you know anything about uh the uh, original puppeteer for elmo uh this documentary came out in 2011 and in 2012 he had like a bunch of like uh, uh sex allegations posed against him for I do remember that yeah uh, child pedophilia and stuff like that um and that kind of you know obviously we we should all and we've talked about this on the show before given mm. some of the various stars and such that have now found themselves under those allegations um do you watch the films therein or the documentaries about them and I feel like in if you're watching like a Kevin Spacey film you can switch it off and just watch the ke- this film that has Kevin Spacey in it. Right, yeah. But a documentary about a guy who's bringing joy to children who's found out to be a child pedophile, like, a, you know, like... So that, least... that's... The allegation's, like, confirmed, is that... Uh, no, I think uh, he got off, but it was because of the Statue of Limitations Oh, laws. I see. Yep, yep. Um, not because he was... Right, so it was just innocent. uncomfortable to watch from that Well, standpoint. it's hard to... Especially given that the allegations came in 2012 and the documentary came out in 2011. So oh, that's like, okay. Okay, you know, you it's like, for example, um, and this is not true. This is completely like just a metaphor. It would be yeah. like watching like, you know, we both really enjoyed Won't You Be My Neighbor. And then what have we found right. out? Mr. Rogers was 
done something done something horrible yeah in, in obviously he didn't he was actually just a great bloke yeah <laughs> um thank god my favorite joke i can't remember which youtube channel my favorite joke is like oh remember the the big cliffhanger or not cliffhanger but like the the reveal at the end of when you be my neighbor is that he wasn't a sex offender <laughs> like it was yeah. a, the big surprise he that was he just actually... a really good yeah. human being <laughs> yeah um that was a yeah. funny joke i i know exactly and i i think i couldn't uh, I can't switch that off in a documentary okay. that's glorifying the person. Whereas Ke- Kevin Spacey was a good actor. That doesn't judge his personality as a person. Right, because what what you watch you're watching performance, so there's a, a bit of a you can take that away. And my stance on that stuff is like I can still watch Baby Driver because like I know there were still hundreds of thousands of other people who worked on that film to put it together. So yeah. I can look at it from that uh, perspective. I mean, I'm not sure I can watch American Beauty the same way. Yeah, that um, that's like too much. <laughs> that's a little that's like too close on the to home. Nose, yeah, but I can watch the Usual Suspects or Seven. Right, right. gotcha. Especially Seven because he's like a horrible person in Seven, so it's like <laughs> it all matches. It, it's like that, that doesn't take away from those movies being excellent movies. Like yep. Seven, that's one of Brad Pitt's breakout roles. Mm. Um, you know, and Usual Suspects has great performances from Benicio del Toro and and yeah, oh, exactly. I love that film. Yeah. So to put it all under that sort of and that's so that's where you can kind of you can differentiate that would be like saying you'd never watch a weinstein film again like a weinstein company film it's like you can't like limit the lens that much but i mean even like train spotting last week is like it has his fingerprints on it you know yeah just because it's a miramax film so it's it you're right it gets really hazy in certain circumstances yeah whereas like you know if it's a documentary glorifying the person and how lovely they are to kids mm. and then allegations of them being a pedophile come out that does taint the very, product that's very direct <laughs> because it's an image yeah it's an image yeah. correlation and the documentary felt very uh you know very formulaic not very interesting and because of obviously all the post production context uh you know, post this this doco coming out, then very recently in correlation to the doco and then the the allegations, I couldn't give it a positive rousing sort of thumbs up, and it really yeah. confuses me that Netflix even bought the rights to have it on their their page. Yeah, um, I guess I guess despite how we got off, I guess that could be there. Well, their he excuse. I mean, following that, he got off like he wasn't on Sesame Street anymore. And yeah, there's a yeah, new yeah. person who does Elmo, so it's not him anymore. Yeah, it's. It's tricky. Again, I'm I'm trying to think of a justification for Netflix. Like I don't know what it would be. But... It's probably was really cheap. <laughs> honestly, and <laughs> they they're just trying 10 to bucks. they're just trying to like <laughs> chuck on yeah chuck on more documentaries. Yeah, that's interesting because I didn't know any of that context about the doco specifically. So that yeah, makes sense I mean, now. like honestly, I I remember the allegations, um, and then when I was watching it, I was very much like, hmm. When did when did this docker come out and then when did the allegations come out mm. and it was in less than 12 months. Yeah. The allegations in the docker so which isn't a fault of the filmmakers of the docker but it affects your viewing experience contextually. Uh, no, but uh, I would even call into question what the filmmakers cuz what the filmmakers recorded felt very much like almost he was controlling the production too. You know, it's sort of like uh, you know, you take someone like, uh, like you know, you know, more contemporary example like Tiger King, and mm-hmm. the filmmaker in the film producer character in that show, well, in that documentary series, um, and how he wanted to produce a reality show, and how he was using sort of the ego and of of Joe Exotic mm-hmm. to, to the benefit of himself. But 
This is what happens when I feel like a celebrity can, can potentially control. And I've talked about it with like the Taylor Swift documentary that came out earlier this year. If the celebrity has too much creative control over the documentary, the documentary loses uh, sort of sight, I guess, mm. or like an interest. Like if we're meant to have an introspective perspective of this person behind like Elmo, then we need to really dive into more than just the history of him. Like, because they barely touch on his personality or his personal right. life, like at all. They have like one brushing statement that he has an ex-wife, and then apparently after the documentary came out, gay. So interesting. But then that? again, like that's after. I mean, I know it doesn't excuse barely touching on his personal life, but it's interesting because that came out after the doco. So it's yeah, it's kind of an unfortunate thing. Of oh, I wish, but I wish like, this was able to be. Explored. I guess my thing is how much time did they actually spend with the guy? Mm who's behind Elmo. They didn't follow him around on, like, his various tours. They just talked about it rather than... Right. Felt like they were with him for a day and they just went through all the run-of-the-mill tell me how you got here sort of questions. Yeah. Where did you grow up? And then uh, even comparing that, I understand your argument with the Taylor Swift one where it's like they do follow her around, but that you can't shake off that feeling. Is that a pun? Shake it off? It would be. You can't, yeah. You can't shake off the feeling that her involvement is altering the way that the film's portraying her. You just, no matter how true it may or may not be, you can't shake that feeling off. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't feel God natural. God damn it, I keep saying that. Yeah, well, it doesn't feel natural, you know? <laughs> so I'm left with nothing but bare blood. <laughs> Fuck you. All right, over to you, Jake. Next, okay. <laughs> Trying to get you out of it. That was... Oh, I salute you. I salute you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, Um. What? let's see. Well, I didn't watch a lot either this week. I watched... It's funny, I watched with you and Jack, I watched American Pie 2 and American Wedding, which obviously I watched the first one with you guys a few weeks back. Catching yes. up on those sequels. So Reunion next time. Reunion's the next one, Next yeah. time Jack comes back. <laughs> Fab up north. No, it's exactly right. Um, so yeah, I had fun. I mean, you know, it was our classical drinking, having fun watching it. And what the one thing we discussed, which I think is worth repeating for, for the show... What's interesting, because you, you you were talking about a specific sort of nosedive with the third film, with American Wedding, how that mm-hmm. is sort of probably the worst of the four. Yes. Is there four? Definitely. Yeah. And I think we were sort of analyzing as we were watching it, and it, it has like this, it, it, the look it looks very different. Like it's, it's much more contrasty. It's in widescreen, or mm. at least the aspect ratio is different. kind of looks more cinematic in a weird way. But it doesn't work. Cause the yeah, other, yeah. And like, and the the real interesting thing is because we watched two and three back to back, we noticed the, it immediately. The contrast is is insane. And the weirdest mm. thing is, and you'll find this in reunion, they go back to the full sixteen ah, by nine. So I think they so it makes it even it weirder because it's like it feels like an outlier in the in the trilogy almost. Yeah, and I don't know. There's something about three. They introduce characters that don't come back in the fourth one. They because certain they couldn't get hold of certain previous cast members they have to change almost the characterizations of other characters because they have right. to be well, well, forced you were talking specifically how um ozzy's absence in the third one yes. has sort of this effect on um uh stifler well and how he's almost have... too much of an asshole now yeah he almost becomes um and i actually think that they did this a little bit in hangover too with um, hmm, okay. characters like uh, I, I definitely think um, oh, I can't remember his name now uh, is it Ch- Chang? Is it Ch- no, that's, I, his, that's Ken Jong's name in Community but the I'm trying to remember his name 
I, I think ah, damn, why am I blanking Chan? on this? Is it Chan? It might be. Um, I'm not. I'm sorry if that's wrong because <laughs> I know him more from Community than Hangover. That's where yeah. I, I got to know him. Um, but Ken John's character, yeah, I yeah. think, especially because of uh, in the third one, he undergoes like a full because like, he escapes prison and he's sort of the centerpiece of the the drama in that story. Yeah, and it, yeah. it's sort of like taking a character that had an immensely funny opening. Uh, sequence in the mm. first film and just because people liked his character so much they brought him in and then they started using more but it actually loses the power of his character I think yeah, because yeah. he doesn't need to have character arcs or journeys because his character's a it's kind of a punchline to a joke the fact that they kidnapped this right man in the first one they <laughs> don't even remember it is kind of the joke I think I think there's nothing wrong with them attempting to do that because it has worked in other films in the past. But you're right. I don't think for Hangover Part Three, I think that it was the tonal stuff that was so off about that film. Yeah. And it's like let's give this character who's now that we're exploring him more deeply is even more disturbing. Because you're right, it's sort of a comedic thing. Now that we're taking it seriously, it's like oh, this is actually a very disturbing character. It's it's kind of int- well, it's yeah, and obviously it's sort of a different effect with the Stifler evolution from the first two to the mm. third one, where he becomes just more yeah, inappropriate, but like he also then has he becomes like a more humane character too, like uh, like he has to become this character of empathy, and he kind of. Uh, you know, he actually develops like a relationship, like, uh, f- like feelings towards a girl, which is kind mm. of completely against the character's uh, machismo sort of caricature. You know, he's meant to be this embodiment of over masculinity, mm. and is constantly poked fun at. Because uh, if anything, the first two films do really well. Is the characters that are actually more feminine tend to fare better right. than the characters that are overly macho. And but I guess, and I, I, I agree with you that it's like, oh, they're trying to shoot on this new thing. and the, But Siffler does sort of have the character arc where he does sort of try to repent his ways and he makes up with the flowers and stuff at the end of the film and yeah. it's kind a of weird wins film. the girl. It's but... a weird film because it's like there's mm-hmm. no, there's actually really not really any stakes in it too. Like the, the wedding's never like, they don't go the route of, oh, the wedding's not going to happen because the two main characters are falling out because there's never a point where they look like they're like they the only things are the wedding is not going to be as good but it will still go ahead like right. that was the yeah it's just a weird movie it's a movie that feels like always trying to capitalize on it on the time but at the same time they didn't really know what to, <laughs> to do with it well i mean i remember reading stuff on wikipedia where it's like yeah they absolutely needed to keep the cash flowing for that third one. Mm. Um, and then that's why there was such a big break between that and Reunion, which, again, I still have, have yet to see. But the, the other thing that I really noticed was just the, the drop in comedic cleverness. And we talked about this, how in the first film, when you look at a scene, like, say, the webcam scene, mm. and we're like, oh, we're rooting for this guy because he found himself in this situation with the girl, but, oh, crap, the webcam's still on, so he has to try and cover that, but he's got to do this. Like, it's a comedic situation that makes sense, and we understand yeah. why these characters are making these decisions, but then you jump to the third one where it's like, oh, now he's shaving his pubic hair, and he throws it out the window, and, and oh, look, it's in everyone's food. Fan, as a fan yeah. that's, like, right and there. It's, and it's like, they've lost the part of the comedic element where it's like, but why does he do that? 
I can't explain. Is like, isn't there a toilet in there? Isn't there any other way to dispose of it? Like, it loses a lot of gaps in logic because it's like, oh, this is funny. Well, it comes back to and like, does yeah, that and I agree. And I think the second one has more of the same from the first one. It still has jokes that are very funny. Yeah. But yeah. essentially, yeah. Um, is that me or you? That was me. Sake. <gasps> well, I did just turn down my 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 laptop audio. So there you go. Sorry for that we, audience. We saved the day. Um. Yeah, I think the second one has more of uh, more of the same, but it still has intelligence, like the scene with mm. the two uh, female characters that uh, oh, the, yeah. the the boys all think are lesbians, and yeah. you know, I've I've been to like I've talked about it that some people think those films probably wouldn't. I mean, you never see films like that nowadays, but that doesn't mean they've aged poorly. I think that there's still really good subtext and meaning mm. behind especially the first one um and the others are just funny like sometimes like not every film has to be I, I was saying this to someone the other day not every film has to be overly profound or thought-provoking mm. sometimes it's just you know it's just an hour and a half of fun but the problem with the third one is it just doesn't feel like there's that much fun there's a lot of really easy and safe jokes and and yeah it's lost that sort of intelligence and situational comedy awareness that, you know, tends to happen when you come back to the well with a com- a comic a com a comedy idea. So yeah, with just know. the concept of a comedy and how long you can stretch it out. Yeah, if a comedy doesn't necessarily have a very strong story, then it's going to fall back on safe jokes often to get it through the runtime. Mm. Oh, what just oh, happened there? The power went out. Oh, oh, the power's gone in. Dude, this out. is a spooky episode. This is I know this. It's not October yet. No, but well, speaking of spooky films, Jake. Well, I'll just say, luckily, we're both using laptops to record. So, I know. Um, no, no disruptions for the audio, folks. Yes. Woohoo! Uh, I'm not going to say this is a super spooky film, Jake, that I watched this week. You just wanted the segue. Um, I thought that was a pretty good segue. <laughs> it was all right, and uh, I ruined it okay. with my laptop you, talk. You, you did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I watched, uh, in continuation with our Danny Boyle uh, director's corner from last uh, week. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I, first off... JB Hi-Fi right now in Australia has an amazing sale. We can get 50% off Blu-rays. That's insane. Ooh. Buy one, get one free. Which is annoying because I just bought The Lighthouse on DVD, not Blu-ray. Because Blu-ray doesn't exist yet. Oof. Um, <laughs> but I watched Sunshine. Yeah, um, And really enjoyed it. That sounds it's, like a nice, sweet movie. It was not a nice, sweet movie. But <laughs> it does have a very good performance from Killian Murphy. Nice. Um, pretty good performance. I watched two... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get her name. I've watched two films this week with Rose Byrne. Um, which Rose is weird. Um, but also a very young Chris Evans, uh, early career Chris Evans, very good performance from him. Um, it's a really good lineup when you think about it. Mm. And I think there's even Mark Strong in it. So it's a really, uh, uh I don't want to say strong lineup cause I just use Mark Strong's, uh, name, but we've done enough Taylor Swift already. Is this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's really good. I really like the music. I really like the premise. It's tight. It's efficient and it's got a really good. I really enjoyed it. It's one of my f- uh, better, stronger uh, Danny Boyle films, for mm, sure. Very um, nice. Would recommend it, for sure. But, uh, yeah. I'll get uh, to it one day. But yeah. Do you have anything else? Uh, uh, I think I think the next thing I want to talk about segues very nicely into the next part of the show, so I'll let you wrap up your films, if you will. Cool. Um, so the last <laughs> two were... Um, uh, well, I want to say a softer rom-com and then a dark comedy I'm going to go with on this one um so the 
softer rom-com was a uh, called Set It Up, and it was Set It Up, basically about how two assistants in New York City uh, set up their respective bosses, and of course they fall in love in the process. Um, but I want, of course, <laughs> yeah, it's a you know it's a simple endearing. It was yeah. it was actually really funny. Um, it was honestly uh, one of the the big positives of it was uh, it did have some creative flair and some really funny jokes and sort of how both assistants, particularly one of them, is basically like a baby, like and like Wah. like the way he acts. And there's definitely comedy in that, but really the the two leads, the two assistants, were um, Zoe Deutsch and Glenn Powell, who were both in Everybody Wants Some, so I'm already going to bring bias into that. <laughs> yep. But um, especially because Glenn Powell is probably my favourite character in that movie. Um, but, um, Zoe Deutsch, especially, she's really, I can't wait for her to get like her hands on a, on a real meaty role, but I feel like cause of her, just, she has a very likable smile. Um, and I mean, you've seen everybody wants some, she's the, the female. In I Love have it. not seen everybody. Oh, you have not some. seen it. No. Um, well, uh, have you seen dirty grandpa? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's the love interest for Zac Efron. Oh, sorry. No, I'm thinking of bad grandpa. Oh, Okay. I'm talking about the one with Robert I'll, De Niro. I'll just, and... I'll just learn about this woman in another time. <laughs> okay. But she's got like that face that if she's not careful, she'll end up doing rom-coms for the rest of her life. Gotcha. Because sort of, she's just got that likable, bubbly sort of personality. Um, and I kind of hope she might get something that has a bit more uh, seriousness behind mm. it, maybe. I'm See trying what... to think of a pun for everybody wants some in that regard. <laughs> Uh, well, okay. Can we just rename the episode? Like, let's break our naming convention. The Cinema Sideshow Punkcast. Well, just the name of this episode. Like, I know we've had a convention for 70 episodes. <laughs> name of the week, the film of the week. But let's just, and let's just call it the Puncast. Uh, negative <laughs> on that one. Uh, and then the final film I watched this week was called This Is Where I Leave You, which I'll just read you a very small uh, extract from it. Oh, uh, Okay. When their father passed away, four grown, world-weary siblings returned to their childhood home as requested, uh, as requested, and events ensue. But let me read events you ensue. this. Let me read you this car. Uh, the who do you think the four kids are? Because there's some pretty good people. The kids names. from it. No. Um, Damn. So that's it. I give up. One of the kids is played by Jason Bateman. One of the other kids oh. is played by Tina Fey, Adam Driver, Ooh. and uh, Corey Stoll. So, um, this, is a, this is a 2014 film by Sean uh, Levy, or Levy, um, most oh, known yeah, he did, by um, Night of the Museum. That's right. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Internship, Date Night. So, I like Date Night. a lot of uh, kind of slapstick comedies. Um, this film definitely has a way darker tone than... Uh, this is the darkest from just the ones that I've seen out of them by a mile. This I would definitely call this more a dark comedy than... Uh, comedy comedy the plot sounds like a mywitz story-esque sort of oh that's thing. a really good comparison okay. yeah um i wouldn't be honestly if cast, you told yeah. me you told me this was a bombback film i would yeah. have actually believed you um because uh once again I, I mean i've talked about jason today because on the show less about jason bateman but they're both characters that get shoehorned into a lot of those b-grade comedies and they have when they do serious they do serious really well, mm. so I don't understand why they keep getting thrown. Like, Bateman had this I film. mean, he has Ozark now, so he's fine. Yeah, he's good. Sudeikis still needs, like... I mean, uh, watching him in Kodachrome earlier this year, it's like, mm. these guys, they have that, that depth, and I love films that allow them to do that. It's, this is the best performance I've ever seen from Tina Fey. Whew. 
who, um, I mean, to be fair, Tina Fey has been kind of shoehorned into Saturday Night. She's an SNL yep. staple um, and is obviously constantly put in, like, Anchorman 2. She's in that as a cameo <laughs> and stuff. Like, she gets to the comedy stuff and she's incredible in this. She has, like, she's, I mean, there's that perfect line of sibling endearment, but really heavy subject matter and it's handled really well. Um, obviously rounding it out was, this is pretty early on in Adam Driver's, uh, rise to... What, what year was this? 2014. Yeah, so, okay. You yeah. know, apart on. from, I think Force Awakens hadn't even come out at that point. No, no. So, this is... He'd done like, what if... Francis Ha, he would have done at that point. Yep. Yeah, uh, just little things, yeah. So, he was, yeah, it's coming, it's, it was definitely rising to that sort of continued rising rise Rising like a Skywalker. And, uh, I mean, like, it Nothing. was... <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> no, I get why you didn't want to respond to that. <laughs> it, honestly, I couldn't. I would. I really enjoyed this film. Um, I definitely think the script is its strongest point. It doesn't have huge creative flair, but in a film like this, this is why I kind of reaffirm with the whole. This mm. could potentially even be like a bombok s film because you know, I like especially in his earlier films. I never thought that the visual component was its strength it comes back to the the mumblecore right writing style which is what... where it's sort of leave a camera and let the performances do the talking yeah and that's definitely how this film uh this is that's that's what the strength to this film is i think it's quite funny and it's quite endearing and i would recommend it it seems to have gotten a very lukewarm reception on on the letterbox on the letterbox which is disappointing letterbox you know what letterbox is really negative i'm starting to realize that <laughs> like we'll get Even, we'll get to our, our film of the week, but like some of the reviews I read on some of the stuff, it's like, what are you insane? Like people just hate stuff to hate stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I know exactly why I like this film's writing. Who's the same guy wrote Kodachrome? Oh, <laughs> there, you, there <laughs> just, you go. I literally just was like, who is the writer? Jonathan Tropper. He's only written two features, and those were it. And they're the two features, man. Wow. I'm looking. He might be my new Taylor Sheridan. Oh wow! Here we go. He's not. He's not. Big not, praise. Oh, I really enjoyed Kodachrome. So if that's what he's done in the last, yeah, what was it five six years? Then I yeah. look forward to what comes next. It looks like he had a third billing. I wonder if that's a 2020 film. Yeah, it might be one coming up soon. You never know. Uh, no, no. It's just a what looks to be. Might be like a short or something. It's got Ryan Reynolds cast in it. Uh, a oh. man who travels back in time to get help from his 13-year-old self and together they encounter their late father. Untitled Ryan Reynolds. Sure. Oh, no, it's a future thing. It just... Okay. Apparently it's something, it works something that Ryan Reynolds and Sean Levy, uh, Levi... I'm going to say it's Levi. Uh, time travel project. So I guess... Uh, time Sean, travel. Oh. Yeah. So that's intriguing. Exciting. No? Well, that's fair enough. I... So this leads into the next part of the show because I actually, uh, part of the reason I didn't watch a lot this week is because I wanted to watch all of the films from the Static Film Festival, which is the online festival that we both uh, have entries in. Officially closed today. Yeah, um, I I can check quickly now, but I think, well, definitely by the time you're listening to this, I think all the videos will be offline. Yes. Which is a bit of a shame, but I finally got to watching all 40 of them, Mm -hmm. uh, which includes Cradle and X-Ren, also 38 originals oh there's a behind the scenes thing in there so 37 short films Mm -hmm. that i haven't seen before and um yeah no it was a huge variety both in terms of quality in terms of the kinds of movies they are which i can always appreciate from a festival that's like hey let's grab this let's grab this let's grab this 
Um, but there were some real standouts for me. I, I was thinking of doing like my own little predictions because they're doing awards, I think, tonight. I, I think so, yeah. Be early tomorrow, within the next 24 hours for sure. So we will know, Zeke, if either of our films win anything. Yeah, we'll in the next... stay tuned in next week, I guess. Yeah, which is, a, you know what, I think I was going through the website and we've talked about this. The website's a little not perfectly refined, so it was yes. a little tricky sometimes. But I think Cradle's up for two awards. It's up for the Student Award and the Drama Award. Oh. So look at that. <laughs> I, I, just I was both. just really happy to be a part of it. Mm. Um, I think for us, when we made that film, we were really happy with it. And it, I'm glad that some, you know we're not crazy. Getting a bit of acknowledgement. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for that one especially, yeah. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, there was definitely a variety. I saw a couple of them. I didn't see a lot of them. Mm. Um, but I did enjoy the ones I saw. So, right, yeah. Um, I have seen X Rental before. <laughs> so that that was one of them <laughs> no i watched that uh chicken cross the road one i like that a lot i thought the animation Loves was great style yeah it was so yeah. cool and it's funny i think the dude who did that followed me on instagram before i even watched it oh so i was like oh that's cool because i noticed someone from the festival followed me i was like oh who's this and then now that i've seen all the films i look back and was like oh cool very nice mm. so um no i really i love the the minimalistic animation there. And it's a nice little gag. I mean, there were a few of them. I thought one that sort of flipped me was the um, breaking social distancing short. It was like a three minute short, but it was actually really clever. It was like, oh, they're going to bank on coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And oh, this couple are sort of going to get, and then at the end, there's sort of a twist ending. You know, the classic yeah. short film twist ending we talk about was like, oh, little, it's the end of a skit. And you're like, oh, that was, that was actually really clever. Like, oh, well, it's always nice when you get like a good punchline in there. Right? Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh, that was a really clever one. And I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going through them now. I want, I'm going to talk about ones that really stood out to me. Um, there was one. Tarzan. Tarzan was the was one. was great. Yeah. I liked Tarzan. I liked the second half of Tarzan, especially. Okay. More so than the first half. But yeah. It kind of gave me a Sing Street Tarantino crossover vibe. Yeah, obviously it, it definitely felt like it was... Um, heavily on a budget. Um, but then that's not. I as... mean, I love the locations they used. Oh yeah, Great yeah locations. Yeah. But yeah. I wouldn't say that that was like. I feel like that was kind of the same thing with like, in the same school as sort of things like things like Cradle. They were mm. just using what was around them. Yeah, that's and that was quite beneficial. But if you look at things like it's meant to be set in the was it the eighties, nineteen seventy eight, something like that. Seventy eight. So you just look at sort of the. I was I was thinking more like the the terms of like limited set dressing that you know the guy was just wearing double denim, <laughs> right? Like I did I did notice that the dad character was definitely not old enough to be his dad, but I mean I noticed that was several films. Hmm. Like there was one film I think it was the uh, yeah, James sure. and his monster. I remember watching that and there was a point where I was like, oh here's a kid and it's his dad and his older brother, and then halfway through the real the film you realize oh they're actually both his dad. Which like okay, I get progressively why they did that, but he they don't both look like dads. That guy clearly looks like an older brother. He only looks yeah, like a yeah, few years yeah. older. So uh, it's a problem that was consistent with a lot of films, and um, I think we got lucky in Cradle how we I mean, we cast I mean, someone who was in their teens and someone in their thirties. Yeah, well, we knew so someone it, in their thirties. Yeah, so, so it's kind of ended up being so the edges sort of matched. I think what they look like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think it comes back to it's really beneficial sort of micro-budget filmmaking mm. and that sort of, you know, it really, in a festival like this, because there were so many submissions, there's such a 
contrast between the micro budget and then those you can tell that had a little bit more money behind them. Yeah, well, I think there were some that was like, okay, this seems like a cutesy thing that someone sort of did overnight sort of thing, which, I again, I appreciate that they're in there. Um, at the same time, I told you last night, I would have rather it be a smaller festival, maybe three-fourths of the number of films they had, but then sort of distinguish the quality a bit because I'm, I'm not going to sit here being like, this film sucked. But there was a few that I was a little like, oh, I don't know why this made the cut, to be honest. I didn't see, I didn't get it. Yeah. You know? And it happens, but... I mean, it, it's all dependent. I mean, there are some festivals that have literally been birthed out of this whole pandemic situation where mm. their whole premise is make a film in your home. Yeah, like stuff like that. Uh, um, it wasn't even the fact that it was just in a home. It mm. was just like, I guess, other creative choices I made that I just didn't get. I mean, there was stuff like, like For You was like a really short one that I didn't quite get, but it was also like, I'm not going to sit here and barrage it because it was clearly like, oh, someone in isolation by themselves making a film similar to the the one you did in our very, very first unit. I, I but, deny these allegations <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, I, I will say I this still film stand was, by This Is Your Day was okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, like this, uh, this is one of the examples of like, they clearly were just in a room that had the day to do it and... It, it, it pays off. I think it looks really nice and it sounds really nice. I just didn't get, like, the 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 way it displayed its message. I didn't get it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. And that's certainly not the one I pointed out being like, that shouldn't have been in this festival. Hmm. Um, but it's an example of, you're right, people like, okay, well, we'd, let's utilize the space around us. I mean, even, even now, Jake, you know, when we go and watch uh, any film festival, there's going to be... F- submissions we watch and we're we're always going to be a little confused as mm. to why they're in there and i think it's know, harder to nail a short for sure it's it's such a subjective concept you know it's like you know certain uh amazing achievements for micro budget films also have some really blinding shortcomings that you're sort of like how did you miss that when you did this other thing so well? And that's kind right, of the, okay. the best part about my... But, yeah, I guess that goes back to that crew. Maybe they had some crew that was stronger than the rest of the crew. Yeah. And, the case maybe. and it's sort of that, that contrast thing. But I like that because it means that, yeah, you, you get that discussion where you're like, man, like this film did uh, a period piece really well, but right, it I see. has really bad audio. And it's like, what mm-hmm. a sh- like it's those like all, all really stunted dialogue that, you know, they probably should have, you know, withdrew some of that dialogue and they probably have a better story because uh, a big thing of younger filmmakers and people is we write too much dialogue or at least mm. too on-the-nose dialogue. Um, yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's, like, too obvious or too distractingly not excellent. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, or, or maybe the camera work's not as sharp as the story is. Mm. Or maybe the camera work's really good and the story's not. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's nice. you're right about that. Like, you can take different... I mean, that's definitely what I noticed when I started. Yeah. It was like I was taking different things from different documentaries and what like, I loved about, for example, People I've Met is like, yeah. oh, well, this is a cool sort of documentary window into a, a place I don't really know and we're getting the, the, the people and they're talking about their experiences and then you contrast that with a doco that does a similar thing. It's... um I'm trying to find the name. It's sort of the, the patriotic One Nation Under, that's it. Where that tackles is a similar thing, but it's it's doing these uh, pop box with these random Americans, and it's got these great wide shots where you can see the flag sort of in the image, mm-hmm. and it's sort of getting these people's different perspectives on the on a, on their thoughts on America and stuff. And it was just that was such a different, unique way of doing this a similar message. Yeah, and they both I took different sort of qualities out of both of them. So you're right. There's definitely a, a different variety of 
quality and and good things to take out of each film. Yeah, and it's honestly great that a festival like this was mm. generated because of uh, this event. Like, you know, full thanks and credit to the whole people that were conducting this festival because they honestly, you know, they're giving opportunities to people that, you know, that like in this time it's so difficult. You know, the yeah, fact that exactly. Filmmaking is pretty much ground to a near halt and having these opportunities to even if they hadn't made it like in previous years they can make something in isolation and potentially get it you know credited Mm -hmm. you know because then they're still sparking elements of creativity out there and i mean we're obviously you know we're coming out of our isolation sort of time and it's definitely uh there's a lot more talk about people wanting to make films in western australia because of how diverse the landscape is and how well we've done relative yeah. to the rest of the world. I mean, I've been saying it for years. We have great shooting spots in WA. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's, it's taken a worldwide pandemic for other people <laughs> to see that. People didn't notice that. It took me a worldwide pandemic to beat Red Dead Redemption too. So a lot go. of things we didn't expect to happen are happening. Exactly. 2020 <laughs> is about revelations. Yeah. Um, but I guess before we move, I mean, like I said, this sort of melds into our career updates, which... Yeah. I, I guess there aren't any... I mean, this festival's probably closed by the time you listen to this no no but you know we have talked about it in the last couple of weeks yeah uh, exactly so um no it was really it was a really cool thing to be a part of mm. to, to just see and like i said full kudos to the festival for uh and i hope they run it next year i hope yeah it just absolutely becomes, uh, i hope just that a, a yearly thing yeah yeah if they do run it another year i just want to say can you please clean up your youtube playlist because it was very clever they broke up their films into different playlists based on genre so if you wanted to watch all the short horrors, they're in one playlist. All the comedies are in one, but the problem is those playlists themselves were quite messy. There was a lot of like deleted videos, private videos, like two of the same video. It was a little messy. So if we get a, a year two for Static Film Festival, that's my one request. It's the troubleshooting. Exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's clean up. I'll, I can, I'll volunteer. Just give me your login details. I'll like, clean up the playlist. So you just put all your films. <laughs> in. Oh, I don't know how this happened. Yeah, every category is Jake's films. <laughs> no worries. Well, have you got uh, anything else you'd like to... Uh... Um, no, I'm pretty happy with that. But um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can still go on the Static Film Festival like website or the Instagram and see all the films they showed. I don't know how many of them you could just watch. Oh, within the next day, they're going to announce winners i think that's true so, so we'll, we'll learn who knows that. if they'll keep the winners up or something like that they might do that's that. a good point yeah we'll see how it goes yeah but yeah if not you can still catch cradle on zkj productions youtube channel yeah and an extra on 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 clickers youtube channel yeah yeah yeah, yeah. silent plugs there <laughs> no worries well it's time to bridge mm. into our cinema sideshow countdown through the decades oh retrospective we moved into the 1980s this week on the show what, a, what a decade what are we watching what a decade this week on the show we're watching ghostbusters this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion fire and brimstone earthquakes volcanoes dogs and cats living together mass hysteria enough i get the point <laughs> When Peter, Raymond, and Egon lose their jobs as parapsychologists, they start an establishment called Ghostbusters to fight the evil ghosts lurking within New York City. This film was directed by Ivan Reitman. That's going to get copyrighted. Yep. That's how it ends. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. This one, pretty convincingly, 
So here we are. Yeah, that's did it. Oh, it's convincing I guess it, enough. Yeah, it was much tighter this. Uh, yeah, next than poll. next week's poll. Yeah, but we'll, that's <laughs> after the review. Um, oh, we're not done with the Ghostbusters review. I've said no. everything. I've said everything I have to. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, obviously, this film is uh, labeled a classic. It got revamped what five years ago? Four, four, four years, years ago. ago. We're still reading from it. Re- reboot. Well, you know what? I you know how you asked me last week if I met anyone who liked it, and I said I've met one person. Yes, I've now met two people who really liked the 2016 Ghostbusters. Well, so did now you it's, revoke their. It's uh, like, well, I'm gonna have to. Their cinephile movie passes. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to watch it now. And Ghostbusters is not good. Is not good. No, oh, well, then do an aftermath as well next year or whenever it is. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. so Jake, I have to get your honest hot take because I've seen this film honest hot take. now three times and I vibe it very much. Right, I enjoy it. Um, it's is that on the poster? I vibe it. I vibe it. <laughs> Zig Morganite. Exactly. When <laughs> when a god asks you if you're <laughs> so good, um, but Jake, your honest review. Um, I think Ghostbusters is awesome. Yeah. This film's so awesome. It's pretty awesome. And what I love, I said it last week with Trains, 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 Jesus Christ. Train spotting. It's not about, um, it's not about trance, it's about trains. Uh, train spotting was such a perfect representation of the 90s in its grit, in its sort of indie darling-esque, the dialogue, the representation of, yeah, all, all of that stuff. Was so, and I feel like this is such a perfect representation of 80s in a similar way, in, in two ways in particular, just the fact that this is such a wacky, crazy plot. And I obviously knew that going in. I knew what the oh, yeah. plot was. Everyone knows what Ghostbusters is. Yes. But getting into it, I was like, oh, wow, this is like committing to it. And much in the same way that something like Back to the Future, where it's like, oh, it's about a guy who goes back in time in his car and his mom tries to bang him. But then you're watching, you're like, wow, this is like a masterpiece. This is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it really comes back to... Um could you imagine this film? Obviously, sci-fi had a very weird uh, evolution throughout the the eighties. You mm-hmm. had the the way more violent horror sci-fi from like things like Alien, mm-hmm. Aliens, The Thing, Terminator. This, this Terminator. same year, the same year, exactly. Yeah. So you had the almost like the mature adult. Uh, but I even would say this is attributed in the it's the two forms. It's the like the young adult comedy aspect of sci-fi mm. and then the mature adult which is the way more grounded realism one and um they're definitely the two uh i mean that's probably why there's such an emphasis on sci-fi to 80s culture right anything from like the the sounds of like synthetic machines you know you look at you look at how stranger things has rebooted its own elements of sci-fi uh and very much a homage to anything 80s exactly so and i think the, the the interesting part about things like Stranger Things in a contemporary sort of retrospective, if you will, and they dress up as Ghostbusters too. Exa- oh, yeah. But it but it <laughs> melds both worlds because it's got the horror sci-fi and it's also got the campy yep. fun sci-fi. Mm. You know, you've got melds them well. Well, you've exactly you've got the first two seasons of Stranger Things that are very focused on the way more the horror sci-fi underbelly and i think the third season goes way more on the campy sort of mm. fun sci-fi you know the fact that there's a russian base under a shopping mall <laughs> let's not forget about that let's not forget about that <laughs> but um no i think uh, with such a i mean that's a homage of course and this is such a yes 
embracing what it is. And I think it's it just leads to being such a magical film. It, 80s was when films were magic. And this is one of those films, I feel like. It That's just... a quote you want to put on a post. There you go. That's there a quote. Other than, what did you say? I dig it. I vibe I, it. I vibe it. I vibe it. <laughs> but I think it's also representative in its, you know, we talk about sci-fi and visual effects. This film is so fascinating from a visual effects standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I'll get to it later, how they use every kind of visual effect you can think of, especially for the 80s. Yeah. And at the time, uh, for a 25 to $30 million budget film, this was the most expensive uh, comedy or at least the most money spent on visual effects for a comedy. Mm. You know, you think of comedies at the time, it's like, well, they didn't really do it's the a, big, uh, big... Exactly, a lot, of, a lot of them were sort of the National Lampoon sort of stuff, which yep. is way more uh, just racy, uh, situational comedy, whereas uh, that didn't re- require big budgets to make. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Maybe a car drives over a, a cliff in yeah. like one of the scenes. Like That's like the extent of what you're going to get in that film. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so but, it was a, it was a big ask on their half to get to get this budget, especially for um, uh, what's his name for Dan Aykroyd, who I didn't realize was such an integral part in the creation of Ghostbusters and co-writing the film as well. What Dan Aykroyd? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty interesting because he would have come off. I think Coneheads was the thing that he was. Oh, just before this. Well, that was his sort of breakout uh, role, if I recall. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't write too many notes about it, but no, he he in particular no, had a fascination. Not it's not, the 90s, which is interesting. oh, well, there you go. I know he in particular had like a fascination with sort of ghosts and spiritual stuff, and I think that's where this sort of leads in the Ghostbusters a bit. But um, no, it was a nice surprise because I, I know him. You're gonna slap me, but I know mm-hmm. him most prominently from some of the Adam Sandler, like Chuck and Larry esque films, where his voice is so. It's like oh, I know that voice, and it was it was immediate when I was watching. Ghost which voice is this? Uh, Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Um, he just ha- I, I I can't explain it. What, what's with his He's voice? a guy who makes that skull vodka. You know the one that has ah, like the skull bottle. Yeah, there you go. Just a little fun fact. Dan Aykroyd fun fact. <laughs> but I think I think the cast. I well, to to leave off my last point with the eighties is that to do a podcast rep, like this is the eighties. This is our pick. It's like we're not doing Spielberg, not doing John Hughes or Zemeckis or mm-hmm. you know we're not doing um Rob Reiner for example. It's like we're doing Ivan Retman. Which, you know, he went on to do stuff like Twins, No Strings Attached, Kindergarten Cop, you know. And it's like, he's done some great stuff before Ghostbusters and then he did Ghostbusters 2 and stuff. But it's like, I like that we're doing a director who is closer to a one-hit wonder than, say, Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I kind of love that he nailed it with Ghostbusters in that way. Yeah, and I mean, that might have to do with Ackroyd's might have had a fair amount of creative control. And he might have helped guide the ship. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that it wouldn't surprise me if he wrote it and he sort of managed the direction, just ghosting or shadowing. But yeah, I like that sometimes we get to visit films that, you know, were for that director were their pinnacle film. It's mm-hmm. nice to actually have that. You know, we've done director's corners exclusively uh, with, with directors that for the most part, most of them, that's not even their best film or like regarded as their best film. Mm-hmm. So it's, Nice to have an opportunity to explore. Probably the the director's definitely their best film because I, I would assume Ghostbusters would be Reitman's best film. Yeah, without having seen all of his films, obviously, I would probably say you're right. Be um, a fair guess, fair. And it's like it's true. I mean, the only Scorsese films we've done on the show is The King of Comedy and Irishman. And it's like I don't think there's a lot of people. We might have done one more, but it's like I don't think there's a lot of people who think that either of those are his best film. Oh yeah. 
So for sure. It, yeah, you're right. It's nice to look at like this is the pinnacle of this particular director. Yeah, exactly. So we get to see what he what he's capable of. But I do think probably Aykroyd probably did have a, a fair mm. um, creative uh, muscle. Yeah, the... exactly. And if you think about the film's direction, obviously with Aykroyd being one of the main leads, that also being the writer and one of the main leads, that definitely is going to help with making the director look better too. Because obviously <laughs> Aykroyd's probably going to know what he wants from himself. Yeah, exactly. The way he wrote himself. And I think by having such distinct... I think that's one of the biggest strengths of this film is it's it's ensemble cast is so distinct. It's so good. Um, such a good cast. To have such distinct... Well, a distinct main three, but um, to have each of their mannerisms be completely unique to one another mm. um, has definitely... You can tell this film has had sort of a trailblazer effect in the way that characters or ensemble casts are characterised because of its distinctness between each of their main their main characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's funny. We talked about Stranger Things and their homage to Ghostbusters. But when you think about, like, each of the main cast in Stranger Things... The and how four distinct, kids in particular. Yeah, 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 yeah. And how distinct they are from one another. That's uh, That's interesting to think about, too. So I think that I don't think of many films before this that had three characters that were all well they were nerds too. I mean that's the other thing. Right, the scientists and uh, with the exception of Bill Murray, very very nerdy yeah, scientists. And yeah, it, that's sort of the subversion of uh, kind of expectation, I guess, because often up until this point, doctors and stuff were sort of the they were the nerds, mm. you know. They were portrayed in film not as your lead leading men, but as and they're kind of like you know their own weird way action heroes in the film. Exactly. So I, some of the f- scenes they go through for sure. <laughs> and you got to think that that's a huge cultural impact for a film to be doing that because you know outside of that there there weren't many films for kids that were more smart and picked on to aspire to. So that's a good point, yeah. That that cultural impact too, you know, things... I'm forgetting the name. I think it's Rise of the Nerds or Return of the Nerds, whichever one it is. But well, you have stuff like that that's like way off, way off kill. No, it's but. even... But it's even in the title though. These guys mm. never call themselves nerds or geeks or anything like that. They're just... Yeah, exactly. That's just guys their occupation. Doing a job. And They're guys who are doing a job. Yeah, yeah. And Very capitalist mindset. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, capitalist. They're going to start their own business. I like it. I like this guy. <laughs> I think, and it's even like you said, it's like the character of Bill Murray's character. He's the same occupation as the other two. He's not a fluke. Right. He's still very smart, but he's very charismatic. Which he's is... very charismatic. Well, it's charismatic is an interesting word to use because he is so. He's the classic Bill Murray monotone. I will say this though. But this, was this is easily my favorite Bill Murray performance ever. Oh, I disagree. Oh, the only one man. that beats it is Groundhog Day. I swim. I see. I've got the Blu-ray. Oh, okay. I've got the Blu-ray for Groundhog. When you Day. watch Groundhog Day, you'll never not enjoy Bill you see, Murray. You see, I like. I, it's not game. that I don't like him. I do like him. But when I watch him in, um, you know, Wes Anderson films, when I watch him in Edward, when I watch him in, uh, Lost in Translation, even is he in Edward? He's he's the guy who like wants to have a sex change. I think he's like a producer on it. Whoa, I need to watch Edward again. Yeah, he's in it. I and he has the not... same sort of monotone delivery as I well. I need to watch Edward again. <laughs> yeah, he's great in it. But um, it's one of those things where, not that I dislike it, but it's like the monotone 
attitude that he brings to those films, it never gets a huge laugh out of me. And with Ghostbusters, I was losing my shit laughing. This film is so funny, even today. Yeah, yeah, no, I can, I can agree with that. I think, um, I think he does really well in. Uh, yeah, I like with the Wes Anderson. I, I can agree with that sort of thing. Like watching those films, he's not the one who generally gets the biggest laugh out of me in those movies. Um, I think the Dead Don't Die, the Jim Jarmusch right, film, which that I seen watched recently. He has a very similar presentation, but it's because him and Adam Driver have very similar sort of monotone presentation. Mm, okay, yeah. They both can do it, and it make it just... Them off each other works perfectly, and they need to be in more movies together, because, <laughs> Jesus, they're so funny together. But, um, yeah, other than that, maybe Zombieland. He's kind of funny oh, in yeah, Zombieland, but, but, but he's still he's playing, playing himself. He's, yeah, so he's literally a, playing himself, yeah. And they do, it, and they do a lot of Garfield jokes in Zombieland and Zombieland 2 especially when he's doing like what is it Garfield 3 when the oh the end the end credits yeah so funny that was pretty funny that's his funniest that's the funniest part of that movie though (laughs) but I think I I was thinking about this like why does this work so well in Ghostbusters for me I think there's an element of like it's not as monotone like he's still there's it is situational like when he first sees a ghost it's like is this the first time he's ever seen a ghost like you can't tell because that's his reaction he's like Mm. oh I guess I gotta talk to this ghost now (laughs) And like even just what he says is it, funny. It might be because um, you know it's also to do with like ensemble balance and how Aykroyd's mm. very wide-eyed in his sort of like, yeah. He talks fast and he's enthusiastic and and that helps I think balance him out too because yeah. when you have characters that are way more you know wide-eyed and you know you wouldn't even say he's the most monotone that that he's not even the most and why you think he's not as monotone as he normally is because he's next to Egon who's even more right. robotic yep. in, <laughs> so it probably makes Venkman look like way more I uh, think I think it's the the insane situation around him like and I don't want to jump too far into the plot or anything but like when he's basically seen what you would consider like an exorcism level of like supernatural shit going on in front of him and he's just cracking jokes he's like you have a lovely singing voice like just stuff like that like gets me every time i i think that another big strength of this film is it took um it's what it did with sigourney weaver you know you go less than five years earlier she's the sole survivor on a a hellish trip through in alien and she's Mm. she goes from being ripley who's this badass woman who just like fights her way out of survival, and in this film she plays, you know, a more traditional the girl next door type of thing, and then yeah. of course she has her own transformation. In the but film, of but, course, yeah. you have to you have to believe that that is an intentional choice that they took a person who was a supernatural survivor, mm. like in sci-fi, like the sci-fi horror genre, and then put her in a sci-fi comedy and made her way more. Your traditional there's a, a yep. goddess even in parts when she's yeah yeah possessed, <laughs> um, and you know that's I I like that because obviously people would have gone and seen Alien and Alien got all of the praise it got, and then with a, like not a year after this I think Aliens came out or the year the two years after this so there's definitely a production context and in, like intention there. In terms um, of the casting, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, by getting her in, everyone's like, oh, she's gone from being this badass survivor. Like, there definitely <laughs> would have been a discussion point back in the time for that choice. Yeah, definitely. I kinda, and I like her dynamic with Bill Murray. Yeah, exactly. Just like even the scene when he's, Bill Murray's at the house yeah. or her apartment and he's like, not even messing with her, but just like he couldn't care less about the job at hand. He's just trying to flirt with her. Flirt with her, yeah. Which... 
I kind of love that as well, is that the film isn't really apologetic about not only him being a bit of a sleazebag or, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, there's almost like, I mean, you were saying earlier, he's a scientist just like the others, but he certainly doesn't treat himself like he's like He clearly is like, oh, I'm trying to get with this student. Yeah, oh, I'm he, trying to get with this this he, girl here. He feels like a jock scientist. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of the subversion of that sort of nerd trope too. I mean, it comes back to, you know, someone like, Ackroyd or or Egon, the, the, their character like their characters. Ackroyd or Egon? Sorry, I, I've, I've, <laughs> no, I know. Um, Egon's played by uh, Howard Ramis. Yeah, Howard Ramis. And then of course you have Ernie Hudson as the fourth Ghostbuster who comes in later, and uh, Mick Moranis as sort of the nerdy neighbor yeah. who also gets entrenched in the the supernatural world at the end there. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's sort of like here I've got my got my little cast notes here. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, the, the the thing I was going to say as well was I love how the film's not really apologetic about giving Bill Murray a character arc in relation to that, where it's like... Oh, like he come... Like he yeah, come like he it. has a coming of like, oh, I'm in it now to to protect the citizens from ghosts and stuff. Yeah. It's like, they never really do that and they never have to do that. They do it, they're doing a job, really. Yeah, That's I mean, just... he, he, you know, tells he tells the mayor and like the, the governor people, like, he he's defensive of his business from that standpoint but i love that it's not like a clear oh he went from a misogynistic character to now he's a white knight it's like they never need to focus on that aspect of him no, i like that. i like i i also agree i feel like the the ideology behind them they're just guys doing a job yeah and almost they're like such grounded normality with that is is kind of a part of why it's so funny that, mm. that, that these guys you know there's a full montage with them just like <laughs> taking care of ghosts and you're sort of just like so okay good. i guess this is just a job in the economy now they have to fill out tax forms and everything yeah exactly and they they pretty much do address that especially with the the epa guy coming in to try and disrupt their services but even just like when they pitch the idea it's like it's all about the money the, the guy has to sell i think a house or a mortgage to fund the business initially yeah. and then they get their receptionist who she's great in her own yeah, all right. Like, <laughs> I've, like, I've seen Ghostbusters, this. What do you want? You, you know that the the fire station is a real place in New York City. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I got to see it. it oh cool. wow, that's awesome. That was pretty cool. So it is. Does it advertise itself as like the the filming location sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's very. I mean, it's like everything in New York. It's all marketable, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Just like the Ghostbusters are marketable. Yes. Four four grand for a ghost removal. Do you think right. that's a good price? I mean, it's a ghost. There were some pretty <laughs> gross ghosts in there, That's too. That's true. Oh, um, the design of the ghosts as well is, like, so good. Got to talk about the quotability of this film, oh too. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, see, this man has no dick. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen this scene before. I didn't know it was from Ghostbusters, which is a little weird. I should I mean, have known. it's like, he slimed me. It's like the... He slimed me. I, you know how many people I messaged after he said that? <laughs> I, was, I didn't want to message you because I didn't want to like give you any clues no, to what cool. I thought. But I just messaged like ten people on Facebook, being like, "I just got slimed." Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, slimed uh, it's, uh, I think it, it's pretty hard to poke holes in a film like this because it's just so enjoyable. It has the Back to the Future effect. I kind of wish I had watched Ghostbusters at the same age I'd watched Back to the Future. Cause I yeah, me too. It would have taken on that sort of... I mean, it's probably going to be the same problem when I eventually watch E.T. It's going to be like, man, I wish mm. I watched this as a kid because I could have... Because yep. you've hit it on. The 80s were the magical decade. They felt like there's a lot of magic and mysticism mm. in, in sci-fi and film. and um, Almost like the sci-fi and fantasy genres were 
one and the same in parts. You know, they definitely were closer than they've ever been, I think, in the 80s. Yeah, I think Star Wars was, and of course Star Wars is 77, but it led into the mixture of fantasy and sci-fi sort of kind of molding into one and then yeah. showing other filmmakers the possibilities of what you could do with technology these days. And, you know, and, and Back to the Future and Ghostbusters and maybe not so much Breakfast Club, but like a lot of these films in the 80s utilize these visual effects. And E.T., E.T. is an effect, a visual effect. And I think that's why it's such a magical age is they the filmmakers just hit that time period where they can make this all believable. And, yes. I, and I'm not saying every shot in Ghostbusters looks great. There's some horrific effects that do not hold up at all. No. But that's not really the point anymore. It's like a lot of them do. And I think nowadays we're so jaded from visual effects because we know, we watch uh, bloody, what's their names? Um, you know, the oh, what's their names? The, the guys who wore the CGI videos. Corridor oh, Crew? Corridor Crew. Yeah, yeah. We watch that stuff and we're like, oh, it's a, this is how you do it on a computer. And it's like, eh. and I, there's a real I magic down did it I think it, Yeah, exactly. And I, I think the difference is when it's, it's when you see how much money nowadays is thrown at visual effects mm. and you sometimes don't even know where it's going. I mean, and then when you see films that are very reliant from the surface level, you know that there's going to be a lot of visual effects in them. Why are those the ones that tend to always fall short? I mean, or miss the mark completely. Like whoever, like how much money was wasted on fixing Sonic and the the new Sonic movie. Yeah. And it's like, why was money on the mustache and Superman? Why was that needed to be fixed in the first place? Mm. Exactly. And it's like, you know, and you look at things like the abomination that was Justice League, but then you see the <laughs> you see the budget behind Ghostbusters, and then the budget behind this, and even adjusted for inflation, Ghostbusters yeah. wouldn't even come close to Justice League's budget. And yet, I know which film I'd rather watch. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it, not just the inventiveness; it's like the visual. It's it's pleasant to look at the monsters, like the Slimer in particular. It's it's clearly a composited image because he's a ghost, but it it looks like a tangible thing. Like it looks like there's dimension. Yeah. So it looks like an actual thing that was created for the film. You know, and like you said, not everything holds up well, but more stuff hold up than doesn't. Well, and I think obviously we're not going to be as picky on a film from 1984. Four, yeah. Because it's 1984, whereas we're allowed to be picky on a 2018 film because it's 2018. We, you know, when people who are sitting at home can develop uh, like CGI animation that mm. looks borderline photorealistic at times what what's the guy who's been given fifty two hundred million dollars to to make this this feature length version of it why can't they deliver the same ability as you know frank who's living at home <laughs> and with his mum and he's on his bloody i9 processing computer yeah. no no, I, like I do get that, and it's like there's, there's something to be said about those computer visuals and how like if there's no if there's no budget or if there's no time, especially, it's not going to look great. But it's the over reliance on it. It's the fact that when they made and I love the Russos, but you really couldn't put together their costumes before shooting. You really needed the CGI, the outfits that they wore, and there's like, like it, really and some of those films you really can see it because of like that floaty head. The floaty, situation. yeah, exactly, and it still shows it. And I mean. I have not revisited Endgame, but I reckon if I watched, rewatched it, this I would see it. It's like the first time you see it, you kind of get the shock and awe, and then the the blaring visual, like the blaring audio, and then mm-hmm. mixed with the visuals and the premise of the story, which the story hooks you in at that point because they're yep. about to go on this mission. But yeah, exactly, Jake. 
this is a how what was it, it ended up being always oh, a half a billion right for that those final two movies those two oh movies. combined yeah for sure and it's like what you couldn't spend a couple grand on making a couple of suits <laughs> like you have all their sizes they've been working for you for 10 years like yeah well that's it's just the reliance again and it's like the more reliant we are on these effects the the, the worse it's going to get yeah because they, we, they can get away with crap. They and, do get away I mean, with crap. They, they do. They do. And for the most part, a lot of those MCU films, although we criticize the DCEU films, but there are there's a fair slice of the MCU films that have very meh I mean, Black shit. Panther looks bad. It yeah, visual looks effects. bad, yeah. Um, and just because the stories are better, we can give more free passes to them but there's still a line there's mm. still like there's still a time where i'm like oh you know look what happens with things like captain marvel i can't remember any of the visual effects being particularly bad but because the story was uncompelling i started looking at the visual effects yeah you know? um and we approve it when we look at star wars and we could say whatever we want about the scripts of the new films at least they actually put a fair bit of effort into it, at least a lot of it being pra- i mean bba is a practical all three all machine. three of those films like, doesn't matter great. what you say about jj and ryan they both tried for the most part to bring use more physical than uh, visual effects yeah. for sure there's sometimes where both of them do still overstep the line i think um and it comes back to you know it, the amount of money that they're throwing at those films yeah know? exactly and, and again you, it's like if you look at marvel's budget star wars budget probably not that different but it's yeah. the willingness it's the fact that jj's like no nah, well you know let's make let's make um uh what's what's his name um I'm really bad on names today. Yeah. But um, Nick Frost's buddy. Simon, Simon Pegg. Pegg, that's it, yeah. Um, The fact that they gave him a costume to work in and play in the, in episode seven. It's like, they didn't just CGI a blob being like, oh, portions. Oh. It's like, no, they actually made a costume and they made it move around and they yeah. did, and it looks really great now. Yeah. And it's it, they had the same budget, but one of them cares and it, more. And it, and it really does show, you know, it's like, honestly, you know, and it's even that mixture of, you can... Um, have a smaller budget and still make visual effect. Use them in the right spots, mm. and Hex it works out really. Well. Parasite, District Nine, District Nine, beautiful. It's yeah. a great, you know, District. You have the poster still. I do. It's in the other room. That oh, fell off the wall. No. Oh no! It's it's quite heavy. So <laughs> it's a big ass poster, it, um, District Nine. Yeah. But yeah, it's like District Nine had like a budget of like thirty million. Yeah, and it looks great. And it looks, it looks great because. Uh, you know, in the opening scenes and the latter scenes are where a lot of the visual effects density is, but for the most part, it's a story, you know, it's with Vickers and Christopher, but Christopher's mm-hmm. the only one that needs to be animated. Yeah. Because everyone else in the story is human, so it allows them to, you know, keep to that. Uh, I talk about uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine. That had mm-hmm. a very s- relatively small budget for a sci-fi, and they know that. So what do they use? They use physical locations. They yeah. try and reuse locations. When there are visual effects to be used, they use they do them. But for the most part, it's practical effects. Yeah. Um, no, they, they, it just makes a difference. It does. It survives. You know, that film only had a budget I think of 20 to 30 million and similar, it looks similar just to Ghostbusters. As good as, yeah, it looks just as good today as it probably did 15 years ago. Mm. You can't fault it. And it really shows. And a part of it Credit where credit's true. A part of it is because it is shot on film, Ghostbusters. That yes, maybe not the composite so much, but a lot of like the practical elements of it. I mean, there's a lot of like statues and buildings falling apart. They, I'm pretty sure they're using matte paintings for a lot of those wides. Yes, which look really great. But like the animatronics and like mm. the puppeteering, like when you know when in the library when all the the closets or the little shelves have been pulled out and things are flying in the air, it's like it just it looks great. 
Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. I and think... it might not look as good in digital, but that's fine. No, <laughs> I, I think that that's. But it's that mixture, you know. It's the same yeah. thing. It's the same reason why, although we weren't either of us weren't big fans of Iron Mother, Iron Mother looks really good. It for does a look very really good, cheap actually, yeah. sci-fi because they put ninety percent of the time it's a guy in a suit yeah. rather than uh you know actually. Being... it wasn't a woman in the suit. No, they remember it was a dude. That, no, I'm just saying, like, the, the, the character. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was Rose Byrne's voice. Yeah, but it should have been a woman in the suit, just saying. Really? It's it's called I Am Mother Zeke. Oh, okay. Okay, it's about women. Yeah, right. But it was, like, a 50-pound suit. <laughs> it just crushes. 50, 60, They're like, 50, oh, we'll get someone. Pounds. It just crushes them. They're like, oh, jeez, whoopsies. And that dude had to bolt in some scenes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had to be like... I'm, yeah, I'm just kidding, of course, but... Okay, yeah. <laughs> Moon's the same. Like, there's so many, there's so many mixtures of... of sci-fis that last way longer with smaller budgets than the ones that will have the bigger budgets and that's just that's just true yeah but i just love the variety in in ghostbusters and i hope that we can, <laughs> let's let's bring it back to ghostbusters i think i think it, i mean it's all talk it, it is it all, all yeah, ties yeah, yeah. back to the site like the fact that the the suits are very grounded real looking suits too like at the end of the day how many how many halloween costumes were made out of Ghostbuster suits because at the end of the, the yep. they were such grounded suits they felt like they were they were made at home. Oh, the, the actual yeah costumes yeah, they're, and suits they're they actual wear. uniforms yep, yep, were yep. not. Obviously, you couldn't just order a Ghostbusters suit in there <laughs> in the films world, so they had to make them from scratch. And yeah, um, just the the level of creativity, things like the the trapper and stuff like that. Yeah, all is, the all the equipment they have, which I, I love from a narrative perspective. They start off with like cameras and. Little metal sticks with the, yeah. the squishy ball, like <laughs> yeah, I love, that's how they start. And then by the end of the film, they they you're right, they've made all this new equipment or they've gotten a hold of it. Exactly, um, it's yeah. all nuclear or whatever they say it is. It's just things it's like inventive. creativity, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I'm ready to jump into spoilers if you. Yeah, are. yeah, that's yeah, it's, uh, it's an older movie now. It's twenty thirty six years old now. Yeah, holy shit, <laughs> <laughs> feel old, Rhett. Um, but no, honestly, yeah, like. It's just the level of creativity that's just standing in this film. I mean, predominantly, the plot is centered around one building. Um, and I think that really... Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Uh, I really find that... Well, two buildings, including the Ghostbusters building. But when you think about it, that's another good... You can tell where ninety a lot of the budget would have gone to visual effects at the time. Mm, for sure, um, yeah. And probably character designs and molding and all of that stuff. Because, and by obviously, they had to compensate by making it really essentially a two-set film. Obviously, there are smaller things like the library at the start and, mm. and like, a couple of basements here and there, but predominantly it's set in the Ghostbusters building where all of the exposition and plot is, yeah. or the mayor's and office. And then, of course, the apartment. Uh, but the apartment complex, is where yeah. a lot of the visual effects stuff happens. Mm. And I <laughs> think to, that's creativity in its own right by grounding it in just so so fewer sets with the exception of a couple of montages, but that could have been done in a few days and a few couple of places, but not, yeah, like, doesn't require a lot. It's just clever set building or location exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, you know, it comes back to just the absurd creativity of the ghosts and stuff like it, the designs yeah. and like the final one, like the fact that <laughs> the state. Now, now that I've seen the film and I know why that's the form that that thing takes. Because of Dan Eckerd, it's like just his immediate thought. I was, I was like, just about that's amazing. Yeah. The Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> it's it's really good, but and doesn't and that's what annoys me about the new one that they just went to basically a, a, a carbon copy of of the st- uh, it's apparently it's it's like the male version. It's got like I think they I think they destroy the new ghost and the female version by shooting it in the dick. And oh, just, fair enough. It's like cool, <laughs> um, very innovative. Uh, not a pot shot at all, um, but. I just, it comes back to, it comes from a place of, like, just creative rawness, you know, the mm-hmm. fact that Ackroyd wrote his character to just be, like, to think of the most random thing, and then that for that to take form. And, and that becomes, all, like, the final boss, essentially. Yeah, and it's everything from, like, when it explodes and it just drops white goo everywhere. <laughs> it's a very gooey film, isn't it? It's very good. We've been slime. A lot of bit of sliming. <laughs> and I will say, in regards to like the actual character designs of all the ghosts and stuff, it's it's cool that it didn't. First of all, it's a PG film, which I was I was like, oh, it is too. It probably shouldn't be a PG film. It'd probably uh, be someone a, says it, dick ones. That's about it, really. But it probably sh- there's a lot of implied sexual. Yeah, but that too. that's like Shrek. Yeah, you, know, you can get away with that kind of stuff. Yeah. But what I love is that the the designs themselves aren't scary. Like, there's a few with, like, really, like, the skeleton face that drives the taxi and stuff. Like, there's a few that itch at being, like, a scary thing. It's sort of the same thing with, like, uh, Back to the Future. It's, like, Mm. for the most part, it's, like, it's got some pretty messed up scary themes, but it's delivered in such a slapstick fun way. Yeah, in a fun way, exactly. That uh, that's just, like like I said, like, you in the 80s with sci-fi and stuff, they went one of two routes. They either went the super, you, you, it was two polar opposites it was fun and kind of kooky and a little bit sexualized mm. and then the other one was survival or this horrible deformed thing is going to kill you and rip your guts out that was <laughs> they were the two types of sci-fi films you'd get yeah 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 it's uh, no nah, like whereas it. like you know more recent decades delve more into like the ai intelligence and stuff like that you know i think part of it as well is like just the, like the lighting in particular like you could probably light those models in a way that's like scary but it's they don't. It's like it's kind of well lit situations. Like our heroes are sort of reacting to them in a comedic way. Well, they're essentially they're even the way that they're designed. They're designed like pest control. Ex- yeah, exactly. And that goes back to you saying it's funny how they just sort of treat this as any old business. They are pest control. Yeah, but it's just it's and ghost. even people <laughs> up until you know that final confrontation with. Uh, you know what are the, what's the representatives called the like the people that are trying to shut them down oh the EPA the EPA you know they're treating it like they're talking about the the end of the world and it's this biblical tech like this hmm. of biblical <laughs> proportions and then the EPA is just not having a bar of it yeah. they're like whatever man. <laughs> when he's explaining to them the definition of biblical <laughs> yeah it's just like that whole scene when they're in the mayor's office or whomever's like argue like that scene's hilarious yeah and it's it, so funny they are and it's like the way they dress the way they act um even the way humans act to seeing ghosts it's almost like they're scared it's like that when they're reacting to like if they're scared of rats and they see a rat yeah a lot of them are point, just yeah. none of them are traumatized really they're more just like oh fuck, get, the, <laughs> get the ghostbusters here sort yeah of thing. yeah yeah and I, fix it. I like that because it's it sort of it once it's again the levity it comes, we need. Yeah, exactly. And it helps the one we kinda, deserve. You know, it kind of grounds <laughs> a little bit of the reality. It's sort of like, you know, Marty's original reaction to seeing uh, the DeLorean for the first time is shock, but yeah. he adjusts to it pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. 
you know. Like he's like, oh, I guess that's that then. Yeah. Doc explained it, so let's go. Let's roll with it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like he he does have like an exaggerated uh, Marty McFly. I'm talking about. He does have this sort of exaggerated, uh, over the top reaction to everything, which in itself grounds the reality of the film. Yeah. Where he's overreacting to everything. But all you the could always say that's yeah. kind of Aykroyd's role in Ghostbusters. He's the one who's very in a way yeah. animated, while the other two are very like. One mm. one, yeah. and I yeah. mean it's it's great that Egon <laughs> has a relationship with the secretary who's equally as monotone. It's like she's great. She's so underrated. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, I told you, it's the distinct characters and stuff. But it's the fact that you're giving. It's I reckon this film's biggest achievement is it's kind of challenging of archetypes and kind of subverting, mm. particularly the nerd archetype, which up until this point didn't have a lot of diff you know defense and it still really doesn't the nerd the nerd archetype's been really kind of shoehorned into if it's in more more modern films it's normally like they're this just sort of uh they're either mentally like got mental problems right. or, or or they're just like striving after the girl next door type basically i think that there aren't many films that just treat them like they're just really smart people you know and they're just normal yeah, I think there's not a lot of... A clever film would obviously play with that, but unfortunately we don't get a lot of clever films in the modern day age, unfortunately. No, not lot. Yeah, and I, I think I just like that. I like the fact that this film shows you're more traditional person, but then kind of the, the jock, like we said, the jock nerd, and mm. even one that's got a very success, you know, a very normal relationship with another one of the characters, even though that they're, they're quirky, but... They're not quirky for the sake of being quirky. They're quirky because they're just people, and every person is well, meant to have a different name. It's all in, it's all in service of this levity and the comedy that the film's striving yeah. for. And you know, when when not that I didn't look at a film this way, but it's like if you look at it, it's just like it's just a comedy, not even a sci-fi comedy, just a comedy. It's like ah, that it's it is. It's it's just purely a funny adventure story with these quirky characters and some maybe less quirky than others, but. In a way that's funny, but we're here to dive into some of the deeper meanings, Jake, behind uh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was one of my things. Like, I'm really happy we are reviewing this film, but at the same time, it's like I had to try and like look for meaning in Ghostbusters, which I never thought I would do. You know, it's kind of like yeah, I, well, I would never look. I would like if we ever do Back to the Future, it's going to be hard to try and dig deeper for me. I mean, if you look at, it's funny because I think Back to the Future has like a weird history in terms of thematic elements and. Part of the reason why Michael J. Fox had to replace a certain someone is because certain actors were reading too much into the Back to the Future mm. themeology, I suppose. But to go back to when I was saying, like, oh, people in Letterboxd are just too negative, you would either get the five star reviews of people, like, p- poking j- uh, jags at, or poking holes, like, not holes, but. This is Back to the Future? Or uh, this is Ghostbusters now. Okay. And how you would have the one star reviews that are like, oh, the characters are one dimensional. Which, to your point, I don't think they are at all because you're right. It is sort of, it's taking a nerd archetype and sort of putting them in a hero position, but not being like, look, they're nerds and they're the heroes of this story. They're exactly. just no, they're guys doing their pest control. They're guys doing a job. Yeah, but they're just smart. Yeah. That's that's sort of how they go about their job. And I think that, that when I read reviews like that, I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, and and then a lot of reviews were like, oh, well, I liked the 2016 one, so I went back and watched. This one, having not seen it before, I'm like, oh, it's just okay. Which again goes in that, well, 
I mean, I think it's more than just okay, of course. But I find it really are too hyped for it's, it. Well, it's really hard to jump backwards with because obviously visual effects are should, in theory, look naturally <laughs> better in given it's been thirty years mm. difference between the two. But that's like the same thing with some people can't watch the original Star Wars because they can't go back and see the very basic lightsaber fights and they think, oh, well, the movie's worse because the lightsaber fights aren't on a lava planet while they're doing backflips. And <laughs> it's like, okay, well, there's about 20 different, uh, 25 years difference between those two films. But think of the, the context of that fight. And then Yeah, yeah. I think if we're, if we're going to put like a deeper meaning in Ghostbusters, I, I, I agree with you. Stuff like Back to the Future, like there isn't really too much of a hidden me again it goes back to it's sort of the magical era of cinema yeah, where these enjoy, are just like, stories you can just yeah. enjoy films but it's uh, i guess it's like when we do it when we do a review on this we want to be able to ex- try and explore every facet of that and i think certain films that's much easier to do than mm. other films because there are films on here I, like that we've done in the past that i like I really enjoyed, but I just like would never expect to sit down and talk about it for thirty five minutes. I have no problem doing it. <laughs> it's just like t- take even examples that we've done in retrospect. Of last week we did Train Spotting, the week before we did Spirited Away, and then yep. the week before that we did uh, Under the Skin. And like all three of those films are like very analytical, somewhat abstract. You could write essays about it each one of them, and yep. now we're doing a blockbuster film. Yeah, exactly. But again, it goes back. If you look at it just as a pure comedy, and then you compare it to other comedies, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. You're not meant to. I mean, you could look at, you know, National Lampoon. So, and yeah, you could probably read into the family it's, representation. Well, and the National Lampoon ones so are way more adult comedies. Yeah. Too. Whereas this could be watched by a young adult, and it would be both fun. It's funny. It's got that Back to the Future sort yeah, of. Yeah, it's like, a slack, slapstick, slimy element of it, where it's it's fun to look at. Yeah, in a way, you know, it's it's a a ten year old could watch this and laugh, and a twenty year old could watch this and laugh, and a fifty year old could watch this <laughs> and laugh. So, it, you know, that's the difference. It's a more universal comedy, whereas the National Lampoon ones are, or like they're way more aged at young adults to. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, it's more of a specific demographic they're looking for. Yeah. But I, I just mean in the sense that, like, yeah, there's things you can read into, but it's definitely not made where, with with something like Under the Skin, it's like this was clearly made with a very specific theme to explore. And I think Ghostbusters are more like, oh, this is a fun situation. Oh, look, pest control, but, we but they're ghosts. have to squeeze a review out some way, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what, what, what's happened is sort of the, the legacy that this film has, and, and we true. talked a lot about the visual effects element, which was I don't want to say groundbreaking, you know, it wasn't Star Wars, but for a co- for a comedy I mean, to do what it did, it's just the cultural film. impact too. It's like, you know, even less than five years ago, we're watching shows that are directly homaging it by dressing up as characters from this movie, mm. and that's huge when you think about it. To have a song that. If you started humming the, the most iconic song in cinema, I think lyrical song. Yeah, that's my, it's that's like my, you start humming the theme to it. Ninety nine percent of people are gonna know what yours, you know, and you know it's like taglines like "Who you're gonna call?" You don't even have to watch the movie and you know the answer exactly. to that question. Exactly. That's the cultural impact that this movie had, and that's insane to think about. Mm. You know, um, you know, I've 
I've got literally a Lego version mm-hmm. of the Ghost One, the Ooh. car they drive. Um, oh, we got it. That car's awesome. We yeah. haven't talked about the car yet. <laughs> car is awesome. Car is a. It, it comes back to like the creative of it being a. Is a morgue car originally? Yeah, or something. I mean, you see it in its like pre. I think it's Ghost black. Busters. It's black, isn't it? Yeah, or it's all dirty it's a when car. we see it and stuff. Yeah, it's a yeah. morgue car. So it's a car that drives dead bodies to the morgue. <laughs> But it's like the creative. Get it? Because they're ghosts it's, now. It's the cre- We found the, the deeper meaning. But that's a, that's, a, that, that's a joke that has layered. That's a joke yeah. that's not even like, ha, isn't this funny? We have a morgue car. It's like, it's a morgue car. So anyone with half a brain could be like, oh, that's funny because they're ghostbusters. <laughs> Dead people become ghosts. It's, it, it's just a creative use of visual humor. <laughs> yeah. But it's also world building. So it's like a double. That's what makes a good comedy. Right there. Yeah, I mean, we even with American Bar, we talk about it. It's like there's just certain things about comedies that you have to get right. It's not just that something's funny. Is that you're right that there's layers to the comedy that it's in service of the story of the characters of the world. Yeah. That it's there's it's doing other things than just being a fart joke. America, American Pie <laughs> symbol. It's like why is it called American Pie? Well, you have to watch the movie to find out. Yeah. But Zeke, why is it called Ghostbusters? Because they bust some ghosts. Do you want to bridge into highlights? Oh, uh, yeah, just about. I just want to. I mean, we just touched on the song. Probably, I. I honestly think it's in terms of a lyrical song. I think it, stuff like Alan Silvestri's "Back to the Future" theme is up there as well. But in terms of a song with lyrics from a movie, mm. this is probably top tier. And it was nominated for an Academy Award Best Original Song. It didn't actually win, which is shocking. I was like, you just stopped dancing yeah. when you said that. <laughs> I'm just hearing the song in my head right now. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Um, and was also up for a visual effects nod, but did not win either. Insane. How did yeah, that's, win visual effects? I know. I I looked them up. What it was up against, I can't remember, but it wasn't. It was nothing to go home about. Ah, well. So I that mean, was strange. Still getting a couple of noms. So there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, um, exactly. And I and I wanted to ask before we go on high. I wanted to ask you one question. So we we've talked about this film from a visual standpoint. How, like I said, not groundbreaking, but it's a there's a lot of there's a lot happening visually. Mm-hmm. That's really impressive. Very i, very iconic. Yes. Um, I didn't get the same sense with the soundtrack of the film, in terms of the sound of their equipment, the sound of the ghosts. I didn't really get yeah, the same. Yeah, I mean, if there was feeling. any shortcoming, it's definitely the foley. I sometimes think the, this. I mean, if you look at certain films, like I mean, of the time, uh, I, I like, I mean, not a year later, you had Back to the Future, and I can. I can hear the sounds of like the DeLorean and the flux capacitor kicking off, you know? And it's like, that was such a huge, I mean, from the opening crawl in back to the future where the clocks are ticking, they're they're putting such an emphasis on Foley exploration, especially in the first one. Um, And, you know, not a few years earlier, you have things like star Wars and alien and there have been heavy documentations on, the Foley artist, in particular Star Wars, and how he came up with that iconic blaster sound. Yeah, exactly. And Star Wars of, was my big go-to with this discussion. Yeah, and it's like, unfortunately, yeah, I, the sounds, the soundtrack is quite good. Yeah. But the Foley design is probably a shortcoming of the film, and I guess that might. It's not I mean, bad. It's just not iconic. That's yeah, well, the well, that's what I'm saying. It's a shortcoming, yeah. so yeah. it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just the thing if something fell short in this film it's probably that mm. um and i think unfortunately that's such a a big thankfully it's the writing of the characters is so good sometimes you forget about 
uh, the yeah, Foley yeah. design because you know you've always got a witty one liner from Venkman coming at some <laughs> point that normally helps you go like divert your attention at least or there's some impressive visual effects of the time that help divert your attention away from the fact that maybe the Foley design's a little lackluster. Um, and that could have just been, you know, that could have just been a product of where their budget just didn't go. And that's... Yeah, well, that's it. it was definitely very serviceable. But yeah, when you talk about Back to the Future, when you talk about Star Wars, yes. or yeah, it, service, you serviceable know and iconic are two different tiers. Yeah, both aren't failures, but one is iconic. Like the fact that I can like see something on screen with no sound but know what the sound was that's mm, that's an iconic absolutely, sound, yeah. sound effect for sure so the association you have yeah and I, I think that's just putting the emphasis you know the visual effects in this are better than the original star wars film but the foley design is definitely mm. better in star wars i don't even know if i would agree with that to be honest the original star wars i guess so if 77 if i watch it back to back maybe because there's so many like re-releases of Star Wars, so who knows what's what anymore. Mm, yeah, if you probably got the original copy of both, I would say Ghostbusters probably has better visual effects. Uh, I would be very curious to 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 look into that to play back to back. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's what seven years difference between the two, so yeah. that's that. There's enough time for innovation. There's a big difference seven years can make. Yeah, but it's also just like the context of in Star Wars, you have the ships in space. It's sort of easier yeah, to make a, that look real. Yeah, because obviously they were models. Yeah, so there was it's not like a ghost in New York Street. I I see I see things like okay, fine. The real world application of visual effects, i.e., like laser blasts, yeah, yeah, yeah. lightsabers, uh, the f- I think they're called photon cannons or like the things that I think you're right, photon cannons. Yeah. Oh boy, uh, I'm such a such a nerd. nerd. Such a nerd. <laughs> uh, but remember, it's okay to be a nerd now. Yeah. Ghostbusters is the only film that lets you be a nerd. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I honestly reckon that is that is why it was such a deliberate choice, not just because, oh, it's the 80s and Stranger Things. It has mm. a contextual meaning in that story too. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize I'd be talking about Stranger Things so much in this review, but it makes sense. They, they dress um, up as the characters. It makes sense. Yeah. And then it's funny that the uh, the black kid doesn't want to play the black guy. It's one of those funny, oh, yeah, that's those right. funny jokes. I do move. I'm going to have to go back and watch that now. There you go. That's true. I like Ernie. I Ernie like being him. the actor name. Yeah, Winston. Winston, yeah. Um, yeah, I like... I, and that kind of plays into <laughs> them just doing a job that they needed another guy. Yeah, there's Hiram <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> there's a jo- there's a, just a job application for it. I just like the idea. The, I mean, it really reinforces the fact that they really want you to think that this is they're they're just guys doing a job yeah. because they're just hiring. Well, people. even even when she asks him like, "Oh, well, do you believe in spirits or ghosts?" and he's like, "I don't. I'll believe whatever you want if you pay me." Like that's literally what he says. And then and then Bill Murray pies him. Yeah. So it's is there meaning in that scene? In our capitalist society. Oh, maybe for you, buddy. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move to highlight scenes. Let's do it. What was yours, Zeke? Oh, it's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> it's one of the funniest reveals. It's, it's just like when Ackroyd's just monologuing and he's just talking about his camp, like in a camp, <laughs> and he's just like, and then you just hear the thuds. And I just, I actually think, uh, like, it holds up pretty well, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. It will, gives me a laugh. Yeah. it No, it does hold up really well. Maybe that one shot of, like, the foot close up, not so much, but the no. wides of him walking yeah. look great. And It's just such a funny design. And what's so good as well is I was watching the film. It got to the point maybe two minutes before that happened where I was like, Maybe he's in the second one. Maybe he's not in the first one because like, that's happened to me before when yeah. I watch something. It's like, oh, it's it's in a different film. 
and then it happens like yeah. right after I had that thought. I was like, there it is. <laughs> and it's just sort of one of those things where it's like, yeah, not, not often does the big bad, this, this, you know, they've spent the whole movie talking about this end of this apocalyptic mm. event and this God that's going to bring about the end of the world. And it ends up being, <laughs> you know, it's just that really good set up payoff joke. Yeah. That the fact that the thing that they're going to have to save the city, it's from, the big cuddly, you know, the, nice the Thanos of the Ghostbusters universe. <laughs> Is a someone, someone should edit Thanos into the film. No, no, they no. should do the Stay Puft oh, Marshmallow Man. That's good. In, in uh, Endgame and Endgame. Affinity War, whatever it is. Yeah. Perfectly balanced. <laughs> <laughs> Get him to talk. Um, I guess my highlight scene would probably be just that whole sequence from when they get their first call, which yes. is, I guess, iconic based on the, the tagline stuff. Um, but they're like, oh yeah, yeah, they'll be discreet, and then the car just starts screaming <laughs> the lights, oh. and then it, hmm? oh, beg my pardon. No, I was gonna say, and then just it playing through the whole the hotel when they're trying to get their first ghost and that whole scene, and then even telling the guy at the elevator, oh, it's a big cockroach up there, <laughs> so like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that Acro I was, getting a blowjob. Oh my god, that was yeah, that <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I was like, oh shit, they're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty. They're funny committing too. to it. I like it. Um, but yeah alright well Zeke social distancing practice what was a good example uh, of this in the film a good social distancing practice would be uh, ooh that's a tricky one when mm. oh when Sigourney Weaver and the bloke oh the dude the nerdy dude are both up on their respected pedestals there's ah, a good one and a half a good, meter yeah that's true Dis- they, Rick Moranis Rick Moranis yeah they did make out earlier though or they kiss. <laughs> no, it's fair enough. It's fair enough. It's his own separate scene. Um, I w- I went with the the girl in in the library, just putting the books away by herself. Yeah, that's good. Well, that was that's all good. right. And the even hmm? well, okay, I was about to say my bad social distancing. Yeah, no, go ahead. What was your bad example? When Venkman gets slimed. That's. A- <laughs> <laughs> I've been slimed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He that's need one, yeah. to go into isolation for at least two weeks. But but he, he was literally for like the the whole middle probably second act of the film he was just covered in slime the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna need to go in isolation after that. Oh, for sure. After everything. Actually, the bad thing would be the whole movie because it's all set in New York City. Oh, well, ironically, my bad one was when uh, the Ghostbusters arrive to the hotel, probably on the cusp of the third act, and the whole crowd's there gather around to see them and, like, cheer them on. And I was like, yeah, that that's my bet. So that ties in nice with your little New York show. Yes. <laughs> Oof. Horrible. Oof, I'll say, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, Ghostbusters is out in wide release. There you uh, go. Is it on Do-do-do. any streaming Ooh, platform? That's a good point. I'm going to look because I watched it on my Blu-ray copy, which I think my brother had it, got. Had to pull up on blue, uh, Blu-ray. Oh, it looked awesome. It looked great. Um. Look very clean. I don't and crisp. think it's on Netflix. I could check Stan, and you can check Netflix. <laughs> look at that! Look at us on the move. Netflix. Let's see, Ghostbusters. Oh, that's not how you spell Ghostbusters. No, there's nothing on here. What uh, if I just look up Ghosts? Ghost Ship. You can watch Ghost Ship on Stan, everybody. Really? Yeah. There's it's a it's a ship like the Titanic, but there's a skull on it instead. Well, the and Ghost Protocol. The answer to the question is <laughs> yes. Ghostbusters is available on uh, Netflix Australia and a lot of other countries. Ah, well, there you like go. Like Canada 
and France. It's not coming up on my Netflix, though. That's strange. Oh, that's awkward. I got Goosebumps, which now that I know that's on Netflix, I'm going to jump right in. Holy crap. Well, this was as of 2019, so unfortunately it might have been taken down. Uh, looks like Regardless, it. it's out in wide release. You can get it in any store. Um, any and- store, even Dimmick's. Any any chemist. Any store that sells DVDs <laughs> in wide Sorry, Zeke. coverage. Because Jake's being a smartass. <laughs> you can buy it at any, any doctor's office. Is anything debuting this week on the streaming platforms? On the streaming platforms, indeedy they are, Zeke. Hold, hold your belts. That the ghost, the not go- wearing a belt. The right ghosts now. are trying to unbuckle them right now. Hold okay. on to that because I'm about don't to have a belt. Because I'm about to drop some slimers on you, boy. Okay. Here we go. Nah, it's it's an okay week. Uh, on Disney Plus this week, the classic 40 short Mickey and the Seal comes out. Both seasons of Evermore Chronicles and 1964's The Moon Spinners. Any of that excite you at all? Or not? Is the moon be- is the moon gonna spin? I hope so. Okay. Is that disappointed. it? Oh, wait, no, 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 that's no, 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 Disney more. Plus. That's just Disney Plus. Okay. Which everything comes out on a Friday for some reason on that. I kind of like that though. It's like consistent. Yeah, that's true. It it makes it easier when I'm like trying to hunt down all these these things. Yeah. Uh, I think all Netflix and uh, all um so as uh, streaming platforms should have like a one day a week where they just release everything. Yeah, I guess I don't mind that. Either way, cuz I know like Netflix spreads stuff out and everything. On stand this week, the Australian film Judy and Punch comes this Saturday, which I've been meaning to watch. Okay. So that's really cool. I, I know that was one that was like in theaters, but it went it left pretty quickly, and so I'm, I'm glad to watch that. Uh, this, Netflix is a big week this week. So premiere, uh, series premiere tonight, in fact, it might already be on Netflix, uh, is the American series adaption of Snowpiercer, starring Jennifer Connelly. So, episode one is out right now, and uh, if you're curious to see how Bon Joon-ho's Parasite adaption might end up in America, this is a a good look, I suppose. Why would you want to watch anything other than the movie? Just watch the movie. Yeah, I the don't know. I mean, the movie's not like... It's good. It's got it's, some it's really It's probably good... his most English film as well. <laughs> um, Chris Evans is good in it. It's not my favourite Chris Evans performance. Yeah. Um, Tilda Swinton's really good in it. Hmm. This is a shoe. A shoe does not go on your head. <laughs> I'm surprised um, Bill Murray didn't use that line in this film. It's a good. It's a good. Um, it's a good scene. That scene. Yeah. I know. I was at JB the other day. Uh, Bonjour knows the host is on DVD now. They've re-released it. Man, so I've been cool. trying. I haven't. I've been building up to watch Oksha. Is it Oksha? Ah. Uh, oh. Okja. Um. Yeah. Oksha. Whatever. However it's pronounced. Um, it's honestly, I was a little disappointed. It's not one of his. Some people love it. It's not one of his better ones, I don't think. Okay. Like, there's some great scenes in it and ideas, and um, my boys in it. Um, again, I, this is a bad day for names for me. That's okay, buddy. But, is um, it Jake Gyllenhaal? No, no, no it's um. Oh, he is in it, but I'm thinking of um, uh, Dan, 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 Paul Dano. I'm thinking of Paul, Paul Dano. Dano. He's great. Oh yeah, he is your boy. He is my boy. Yeah. Um, but also on Netflix this week is Hannah Gadsby's latest stand-up special, Douglas, uh, which comes out later this week, and the whole first season of Space Force, which sees Steve Carell and Greg Daniels reuniting. So as someone who's nearly halfway through The Office, I just finished the third season, I'm um, curious, because it seems like it's going to be Office-esque in space. Mm. So, yeah, yeah I, I saw a trailer. Can't say I'm a huge fan of it. Can you say you're a huge fan or a huge I just, like, fan? It doesn't look... <laughs> it looks like it has a funny concept, but I'm not sure. I'm sceptical. 
So. You're, allowed, you're allowed to be skeptical. It's okay. Okay. Uh, and that's uh, that's all. all that's it. That's it for streaming this week. No dramas. Well, it's time to move into our 1970s installment in our cinema side show countdown through the decades <laughs> retrospective. Jake, you have the results of the poll. It was a close one. It was. <laughs> yes. No, it was a very close one. Uh, 22 to 20, which so very crazy. close. And I must say, I think people are starting to get sick of the votes because we're getting way less total votes. Oh, that's not. I mean, it's still forty. It. We also did it the same day. That's true. We were late this week, so we kind of had to do it at the same day. I think that might have affected it because it would mean they would have to vote twice Mm. on the same day. Maybe we should just start doing it earlier, like Wednesday or Thursday. Maybe, maybe, maybe one of us does it on like midweek, and the other one does it at the end of the week. Yeah, that. It'll be interesting to see what the... the anyway, the film. <laughs> so, so what were the two films? So the two films, uh, you voted to do The Sting. Yes. I wanted to do The Warriors. The now, Battle of the Thurs. The Thurs. A lot of the Thurs. Yes. And um, so I grew up with The Warriors. I love The Warriors, but we're not doing The Warriors. <laughs> I'm a bit salty. This, this is probably the first time I've been really salty about losing this one, I must admit. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I... I it was I was um, open doing both because um, I haven't seen the Warriors. So, right, right, right. Um, but you haven't seen the Sting. No, and and when I told people about the vote today, they were all like, "Dude, you got to watch the Sting." So I'm like, "Okay, they might they might salt the wounds a little bit." That's cool. Just a little bit. So without further ado, next week on the show, we're watching the Sting. She picked him clean. He never missed. Him. Remember that Sting experience, how good you felt? Now, The Sting, winner of seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, is back. Chicago was the place to be in 1936. In those days, the big con was a dying art, until a first-class grifter on the lam from the FBI and a young gaffer from Joliet joined forces to con the Big Mick. He's not as tough as he thinks. Neither are we. Swindler Johnny Hooker, whose partner is butchered by the henchman Doyle Lonigan, a ruthless climb boss, seeks to take revenge. Aiding him is Henry Gondoroff, a command, uh, a con man evading the FBI. Nailed it. You know, this is really funny mm. because it says it's a, oh, this is a Google. Oh, it I says, know what you're going to say. It's a 1973 drama heist yep. that was released on 18th of February in 1982 in Australia. Yep. I saw that as well, and I was like, oh, shit. This is definitely a <laughs> 70s film. Now, obviously, the two leads are Paul Newman and Robert Redford. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this, is, uh, uh, this is amazing, because um, obviously, these two were in a, a little bit more of a famous film that I'm going to uh, tease, because it might be my pick for the 60s edition so oh. we may have back-to-back weeks of robert redford and paul newman so brace well, yourself it's funny because like i recently looked at our votes for the remaining decades and the one you initially had for 60s i don't know if you're going to change it was like a thousand percent going to win either way so I'm, now I'm i might curious. i'm i'll see how i feel yeah. um but obviously um oh, i might as well say it so the film that they're they're both more famous for is butch cassidy and the sundance kid yeah i've, I've seen that too the um posters and, stuff. and of course the Sundance Film Festival was established by Robert Redford. Mm. So um, this is their sort of four years later, they had kind of a follow-up film together. Um, obviously, Paul Newman's one of the best actors of all time. Um, and He's in Tower of Inferno, yes? 
years. I think so, yeah. Yes. His great. last role was Cars. He was Hudson. Huh. He was the Hudson cool. Hornet. So it was kind of a cool... Uh, and then, obviously, with the whole thing with Cars 3 is they somehow managed to bring him back because they sort of just reused voice assets or something like that. Well, Robert Redford, Redford was meant to retire before his Endgame cameo. So they both he, have a bit of a story. He's there. interesting, Robert Redford, because he has retired. His last a full feature where he was mm. a lead was The Old Man with the Gun. Yeah. And that's meant to be his retirement film. But yeah, that's meant his, to be. His yeah. Endgame cameo is... Uh, doesn't really count as cameo. Cameos don't. Count. Yeah, yeah, I know. But um, and I thought it was a comparison to Cast Free though. Yeah. Interesting. Also, he's amazing in Winter Soldier. Let's just he's he's great. Yeah, he's a great boy. So I'm very excited that we're doing this film. It'll be really cool to uh, go back. We're going more back into the the niche routes, but both both films could have offered some really cool uh, discussions. So I, yeah, I think I mean the Warriors I've wanted to do for a long time, so we'll we'll do it eventually. And I will say that Zeke and the vote that the Static Film Festival themselves voted for the Warriors, but they lost, and we all lost. <laughs> yeah, I'm being salty, but I'm excited to watch this thing. Yeah, so. no worries. Well, we'll until then, thank you for joining us on the Cinema Side Show podcast. I was Zeke. I am Jake, and we'll catch you next week with the Sting. Bzzz.